time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Morning, guys. JT. Happy New Year. Uh, happy Hanukkah on this uh, eve of Hanukkah. That's true. It is. It is the eve of Hanukkah. At when, when we record, that is true. That's true. But when it goes out, I guess it is. All right. Uh, then then in that New case, Year's. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to pack them all together. Yeah. No, hopefully, if everything goes well, this show will be dropping um, on, on, on New, New Year's, Year's morning. Day. And I'm yeah, sure that as people wake up, the very first thing they do is reach for their phone and download the latest episode. Yeah. Of Two Men and a Dog. Isn't that what you do, Doc? Absolutely. I listen, I took a hike yesterday with my daughter and my dog and I proudly wore my embroidered cap that was so generously donated by Jay's sister. And I was I was uh, taking a hike with my dog earlier in the day. I heard about that. Yeah, and I was wearing my my shirt. So oh. Fryman Canyon just got yeah. completely doused with <laughs> right. two men in a dock. That must be why our listeners advertising. Yeah. You know, I, that reminds me We're going to see a bump I've got a. Well, there was also that plane that I, I hired. Oh, to yeah, fly yeah, yeah, over. with the banner? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got to take out my ugly Hanukkah sweater for tonight, so mm. I'll do that. But you know what I really like about this time of year? What's that? It's those uh, letters that we get <laughs> from our family friends. Yes. And. Yes. Um, Will they catch you up, you mean? Yeah, when, yeah because a lot of times, because I'm not a big Facebook person, so I don't follow a bunch of people on Facebook. So you get caught up? Yeah. And um, I'm actually. Um, a bit envious because it is a great way to document what happened during the year. Otherwise, it just goes into oblivion I know, on but the, the electronic thing, but, calendar. But why do we have to like, why does everybody else have to hear about it? Well, <laughs> that's I mean, the thing that kind of, that that's the problem that I have is that when I get one of those, like somebody in particular sends this one every year. Well, my wife's been it, saying that about your annual letter. Michael. I don't send an annual letter. <laughs> yeah, I'm not on that list. It's, I guess. it's, it's six point, this one that this one family sends us, it's in six point font and usually close to two pages. I mean, if you really decided you actually wanted to endeavor and read this thing, you know, it would, it would take you probably, you know, 25 minutes to get through it. And of course, a lot of it is just really random stuff that like, I just don't need to know about. Now, let me ask well, you this. How but that's it? great that they have their own document. Do I they mean, have kids? And then who is going to read this document of their family history? Well, I got one from, uh, from a friend and a successful guy, been married a long time, two kids in high school. He, he let me know his highlight of the year was his uh, alma mater's uh, championship. And I'm like, is, is that really the highlight of the year? <laughs> For him, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. These guys, my, they also, uh, by the my way. My friend who's a, who's a big listener to this show, UVA won, and uh, big highlight of the year. He's listening right now, so there, there you, you go. go. No, but these guys also, at the end of their, of their letter, they put down like a, a list, I kid you not, of like maybe 25 best ofs. According to their family, it could like be it, music, it, and movies, it, that kind of thing? music, movies in their city, the best place to get a sandwich, the best place to get a <laughs> salad, like every little thing. So, it's like goes like like 25 of them. So the best one I ever got. This is actually something I might do. The best one. I, <laughs> the best one I ever got was somebody who was an accountant 
and they sent it. Well, it stopped right there. I mean, that just explained everything. They sent it in Excel. <laughs> so they had sentences oh in God. Excel, and 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 they for, and for they humor? went through. No, that was that Come was on. the program that uh, this individual was most familiar with. Okay, well, as that's, opposed to Word. That's weird. Okay, well, I think weird. it's nice that your friends want to catch you up on what's going on that's in their true. life, and not everyone. But is But you can do it in like socially. bullets and limit yes. it to like oh, maybe like. But half a dozen bullets. What I find interesting is that the older that your kids get, usually the the details become more and more sparse, because not with these people. No, no, they got they got one kid getting ready to go to college. Really, we got to hear about all the schools they're applying to and how difficult it is to wait and all the conflicts about getting the applications done. I guess I'm already revealing the fact that I actually read some of it. There'll so. be a link in the show notes to this letter. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like they didn't call Rick Singer. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. That's so, true. So um, I'm a pretty religious watcher of uh, CBS Sunday Morning, and they have these little vignettes called, uh, you know, the Almanac. And apparently it's the anniversary of a very, very popular male drug called Propecia. Mm. Yeah. Great stuff. And and I think it may have uh, originated from your own alma mater, Doc. Yeah, that's true. Cornell. That's true. I remember the professor that gave us the talk on the discovery of this pathway that led to the development of that drug, which really wasn't Propecia. It was, it was initially... Well, Propecia is finasteride. 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 And it was originally marketed as Pro, Proscar. Well, which um, came first? Because I thought the generic Proscar, version... Proscar. Proscar came first, then Propecia. Okay. They're both finasteride, just right. at different doses. Uh, so, but the, but so, this was... So Proscar is a five milligram tablet, and Propecia is simply a one milligram a one. tablet. But but was this found as like a, a prostate drug initially? Correct. Correct. And, then, and then they found other uses or these positive side effects. Right. So here's the, here's the story. It's kind of a cool story. And the, and the professor's name was Juliana Imperato McGinney. Um, Say that one more time. I know. It's like, it's one of those names. It's a that, mouthful. It, yeah, it's a mouthful. Definitely stuck in my head. Um, and she and uh, some other researchers discovered this community in, I guess it was the Caribbean. I, I couldn't remember, but I know that this community... It, it's a Caribbean. It's, and, and I know this community is very isolated. In other words, um, it's not like in a, in, a, in a big city. Like they are almost tribal is my recollection from the lectures. Um, I could be wrong, but I think they were almost like kind of tribal um, and very insular. And, um, and what they discovered in this community is that they had uh, a population in their in their midst um, of individuals who would be born. This is this is basically one of these uh, what you call um, um, mixed gender disorders. Essentially, um, there's another word for that. But in any event, um, <clears throat> what's the word for that? Anyways, they sexually ambiguous. Yeah, ambiguous genitalia, whatever. So in any event, um, they would be born with what looked like a normal vagina. And, but what they would discover as they reached puberty is that, um, a, they didn't ever get their period and B, as they went through puberty, they formed a penis and they were, and they were heteros and they were heterosexual. 
they well. were heterosexual. Is this and they hermaphrodite or is that, is that different? It's not a hermaphrodite, no. technically. So they would, so they would um, because a hermaphrodite, technically, you have to have gonads of both genders. You have to have, mm. you have to have basically, you know, sperm, like gonads that produce XX cells and gonads that produce XY cells. No. That would be a true hermaphrodite. So, so no, this is not a hermaphrodite. This is, these were all ultimately discovered after research determined to be genetically male. They were all XY chromosome individuals. They were all born with what appeared to be a vagina and with what we would call, this is what, what would be described as a blind ending pouch that may be offensive to some people, but that's what it was because no, a normal vagina has a, a cervix at the top of the canal and then the uterus behind that. But this was a genetic mutation. So this was a genetic mutation in these individuals. And then, and so then at puberty, they would grow a phallus. They would grow a phallus. Um, they were all infertile. They could not uh, have children. And, um, and smaller prostate and, and they had virtually no prostate. They had virtually no prostate, small to none. It was very, 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 uh, you know, what we call atrophic, um, very minimally formed. And then the other finding about these individuals is that none of them, um, when they became adults and older, none of them developed male pattern baldness, none of them. So they started to look into what was this genetic mutation. And when they discovered, uh, what they discovered was that none of them, uh, when they were children, none of them really had any circulating dihydrotestosterone. So what is dihydrotestosterone? It's the active form of testosterone. So, so when they were, when they were born, they were born with some level of testosterone level that some degree of testosterone levels in their system. Um, but, uh, zero dihydrotestosterone or very little. And then when they got to puberty, which is when you get that big surge of testosterone production, um, then they did start forming some dihydrotestosterone and then they grew a phallus. So why did that happen? You have first have to understand what do enzymes do? So any of you guys want to decide, tell me what you think an enzyme does? I'll be wrong. You can guess. No, I have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea what an enzyme does. No, I really don't. What do is you think of enzyme? Is it hormonal of some sort? What do you think of an Producing? enzyme in your gastrointestinal tract? And it's like a catalyst. A catalyst. Good. GB, man. All over it. <laughs> GB wins. He looked it up. So it's a catalyst. <laughs> actually, actually, no, that one I actually did not look up. actually knew I'm it. taking credit So what for does that it mean? One. What is a catalyst? I feel like I'm I the uh, star student. <laughs> so what is, what is a cat? What is, what does that mean to be a catalyst? What does that word mean? It means it prompts a reaction. It makes the reaction go faster. Okay. Right? So if you have one. Like my jokes. If you have one reagent like testosterone and you're trying to get that reagent to have a, a, a new, like a, a in, in the case of testosterone, it's a hydrogen, dihydrotestosterone. So it's an added hydrogen to the uh, ring. It's, there's like a carbon ring or multiple carbon rings that make testosterone. When they add, when you add a hydrogen to it, you get dihydrotestosterone, which is much more active. The problem is, is that if you don't have the enzyme that catalyzes that reaction it stays as testosterone but if you but what you have to understand about chemistry and at least in this case biochemistry is that if you have enough of that reagent in this case testosterone 
If you have a little, it's never going to go to dihydrotestosterone unless you have an enzyme, a catalyst. Okay. But if you have a ton of testosterone, if you pour in tons of reagent, it's what we will call, it will push the reaction over to the product in this case, dihydrotestosterone. So these guys would be born and they would be born without the critical enzyme. That enzyme is called 5-alpha reductase. 5-alpha reductase is what converts the testosterone to, it catalyzes the reaction, okay? And um, in, into getting that extra hydrogen. And, and so when they were born without it, they were never getting their DHT, the dihydrotestosterone. But when they went to puberty and they got a big surge of testosterone production, right. they didn't need the 5-alpha reductase because there was so much reagent, it pushed the reaction over and then they got their DHT. So these scientists all realized like, wow, none of these guys have prostate development. Maybe we can add, create a drug that inhibits the active testosterone in adult men, in normal adult men, and maybe it will cause their prostates to shrink. And if we give them this drug, maybe we will prevent them from having pattern, male pattern baldness. And that was what gave birth to finasteride. So finasteride is a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor. As it turns out in those communities in the Caribbean, these individuals, they have a, a special kind of role, like they're, they're given sort of a special designation. They're not, they're actually not like ostracized or anything like that. They're just looked at as sort of special individuals in their society. It's just kind of cool, yeah. at least as I remember it from the lectures. But, but, um, but the drug first came out as Proscar. Yeah, because the uh, woman was your professor. She was my professor. So the drug came out as Proscar, and Proscar is, in fact, to this day, um, considered you know one of the most important drugs in managing prostate enlargement because it does cause a good twenty to thirty percent of shrinkage of the prostate. Mm -hmm. And you might say, like, why doesn't everybody go on the drug? There were there were controversial studies in the late '90s that suggested that if men, all men, went on Proscar, all men. Um, that it might have an effect on their predisposition to prostate cancer. And here is the effect that it might have. The effect might be that the initial studies showed that it reduces the number of cases of prostate cancer. Good. That's a good thing. However, the study oh. suggested that the cases that were left over were more aggressive type. So then everybody said, okay, don't give Proscar to like the general population. Just give it when it's needed. Okay. But then there were multiple studies that came out after that in the early 2000s, like in the like 2005 to 2010 or something like that, that totally refuted those findings and actually showed that Proscar overall just finasteride does in fact reduce all forms of prostate cancer in all grades and stages prostate and everything. Cancer and, cancer. and cancer. the enlargement of the prostate. Correct. Correct. And how does it differ from Flomax? So, so this is a drug, again, this is, this, the mechanism is totally different, right? This is a acting on hormones and it, and the net effect is to decrease the size of the prostate. Flomax is what's called an alpha blocker. So you have beta blockers, right? So how to, if you understand how beta blockers work, it might help. Beta blockers work on the smooth muscle cells that line your arteries so if it blocks those smooth muscle cells from contracting, the arteries dilate, they, they relax, and your blood pressure drops. That's how a beta blocker works. Alpha blockers also do that, and it turns out there are 
alpha receptors for smooth muscle cells in the prostate. The prostate actually, in addition to a lot of other kinds of cells, has smooth muscle cells in it. Somebody, a guy named Herb Lepore, did all these studies in the 70s, I think, or the 80s, and he, and he did all these... Um, he did all these like biological sections where he would um, slice up these prostate glands, look under the microscope, identify the different kinds of cells. And he said, hey, look, there are smooth muscle cells in here. What if we, and smooth muscle cells contract and we're trying to get the prostate to stop constricting around the urethra. What if we give them an alpha blocker to block the contra contraction of these smooth muscle cells? And that's what Flomax is. Hmm. That's how Flomax, so it relaxes that, it, it makes that, it dilates that channel through which your urethra goes so that you have less resistance to flow and your bladder will have an easier time pushing out the urine. So, then, so quick question. So what I've heard in the past is that if you do take the Propecia drug for hair loss, is that if you stop taking it, then you will even lose more hair. Is that... I, I, yeah, that... Yeah. All I remember from those initial studies was not necessarily that you would lose more hair, but that you will lose the hair that you would have lost. So it's like, if you go on, it takes you back, right? It's just kind of like, you know, it's like, let's say you're 40 and you go on and, and it's really marked. Yeah. Propecia. So Propecia is the one milligram tablet as opposed to uh, Proscar, which is the five milligram. So you go on Propecia and you're 40. If you, if you had a twin brother and the twin brother, um, didn't go on the Propecia, by the time he's 45, maybe he's got like full, full-blown pattern baldness, right? And here you are, you've been on it, you're 45, and you have no pattern baldness. But if you stop your Propecia, the studies would show that within some period of time, I'm going to say six months, you're going to be like your twin brother. So let's go back. <clears throat> so it's kind of holding you in place. So it, it started with them noticing about this male pattern baldness that these guys didn't have. Right. Then, then after the studies, it became a prostate. Um, well, no, I would say the other way around. I think the first thing, well, the first thing they noticed was this whole thing with the phallus. Right. I mean, that was what really, I mean, that was shocking. Right. And they're like, how, what the heck is going on with these, with these people? And they realized that they had, they, they, when they started to look further. But in they, terms of the drug, in terms of what they were trying to accomplish or looking absolutely into. looking at the prostate first starting with the prostate. because because think about it and okay. this is how the drug companies looked at it and this is why propecia was so expensive initially i mean prostate <laughs> enlargement is a huge issue yeah, right yeah. It's, no, no it, pun intended <laughs> it's a, it's you know it affects nearly all men to some degree um, it results in massive amounts of expenditures across the country when it comes to surgeries. And it, in those days, yeah. mm -hmm. the only treatment was surgery, right? I mean, the, the drug like Flomax had only recently come out. The precursor to Flomax was a drug called Hytrin, but that's another story. And, and so there wasn't a lot of ways to treat this. And so now we were going to have a second drug that had a lot of potency. So, so pharmaceutical companies were quick to develop this and insurance companies were quick to cover it. They were going to cover it because they figured if we can keep these guys from right. having surgery, we're going to save money. So, so, so when um, did the hair loss element Propecia came out like probably three or four years later is my guess, but it wasn't covered by insurance. Because it had no benefit except for just vanity. Cosmetic, yeah. Cosmetics. So they weren't going to pay for it. So if you wanted to take Propecia, you were going to pay like 20 times the cost. Of, I mean, enormous amount of money. 
um, compared to, so, so a lot of people would just get the ProScar prescription if their doctor would allow them and try to cut it. And, and, and that was probably fine. I mean, it, honestly, it's not like any study had shown that, you know, at that, it, it, it was really kind of a marketing thing, I think, mostly. Yeah. So this mostly. is a, a lower dosage, which brings up two dosage. questions for me. But One the is- finasteride gives you the same, the, the ProScar 5 milligram, I'm pretty sure, gives you the same effect. As? The one milligram Propecia. Okay. But it doesn't give you the prostate effect. So you don't get the shrinkage on one on that Propecia on that one milligram finasteride. So if you're a guy, but you do get the shrinkage on five milligrams. So if you're a guy in the fifties, right? That's when the prostate starts getting potentially yeah. a little bit bigger. Yeah. You're concerned about your hair loss. Yeah. You could you could certainly go on it. Should sh- should you do should the you pro- go on Propecia or, or Proscar? Should you do the Proscar? That's the big controversy because of this whole question of like, does it have a positive impact on preventing prostate cancer? And it's remained a controversial point. And doctors are very reluctant to prescribe a drug for prevention of anything. So, but let me ask a question about, and we've talked about we're this all in the very, past. We're all very, it's always scary to do that because we're manipulating your hormonal profile and there may be effects that we don't really know. That's but, what I was going to wonder but, too but about the But if you shrink the, the prostate, that. aren't you going to be able to urinate better? Because it's not yes, putting that's that... that's the point. But, but that's it, the point. Exactly. So, but this whole thing with prostate cancer... That's you're, a secondary but, but you're going to get it whether you have a big one or a little one, if I'm understanding you correctly. But not all people are going to have prostate enlargement that's going to affect urination. Mm. Right. Got it. What about the side effects even of the lower dosage? Because um, you're talking about hormonal, hormonal manipulation. And, Absolutely. So like, how does that impact a guy? Well, I mean, it can. Again, I said that it's going to basically block the formation of dihydrotestosterone, which is the most active form of testosterone. And what is, imagine, what is that for? That's for giving you a good sex drive, your sex libido, your erectile function, sometimes your mood as a guy, you know, just your aggressiveness, your ambitious, your ambition, and all those things. Truthfully, it's not typically profound. I mean, I would say the majority of people who use certainly Propecia at that one milligram dose and even Proscar at the five milligram dose, they typically don't have much in the way of side effects. It's very unusual for me to hear somebody come back and say, I can't tolerate this drug. I've Mm -hmm. noticed my erections have dropped off or my sex drive has dropped off or something like that, or my mood has changed. It happens, maybe like 5%, one out of 20, maybe a little more than that. Um, But it's not a huge issue. I mean, it's it's generally a well-tolerated drug. It does not have a lot of side effects, typically, but it can. I find it interesting that the same drug at a lower dosage has this other... Um, well, use and, and it's, are right. there other examples you can think of that are like that? Because it's uh, you know mm. you take the same pill more and it's it's going to have a dramatically different effect on your body. Yes, I can. Um, Viagra. So Viagra was marketed originally as a drug for erectile dysfunction, and it had a 50 milligram and a 100 milligram dose. And they were, when it first came out in the early to, in the late nineties, I guess it was, it was very expensive. Okay. But then they also discovered it's a, it's a, it's what's called a nitric, uh, a nitric oxide, uh, synthase inhibitor. So it, it, it allowed for more, um, nitric. I'm trying to remember how this worked. No, it's a, um, um, 
phosphodiesterase type 5 inhibitor. So it, it, it actually increases the amount of nitric oxide in your system. And nitric oxide is a vasodilator. So it makes blood vessels and other chambers that have blood dilate. So if you have this chamber in your penis that needs to, you need it to get bigger to accommodate more blood flow, you want to have that drug on board. But it turns out that it also acts on the blood vessels, the arteries that go into your lungs specifically. Hmm. So there's a condition called pulmonary hypertension. It's high blood pressure, but it's not in your peripheral arteries. It's only in the arteries that go into your lungs. So if you were getting into a totally different topic, but what happens if the arteries in, that go to your lungs are really constricted and what's going to happen to your heart if you got two sides of the heart, the left side, which pumps blood through clean blood throughout your body, a clean oxygenated blood, not a clean, but oxygenated blood throughout your body. What is the right side of the heart pump? It pumps deoxygenated blood, blood that's come back to the heart from the rest of your body. And it's pumping that deoxygenated blood into your lungs to get oxygenated. So now it's got to pump harder because it's a higher blood pressure for just the pulmonary vasculature. So the right side of your heart gets really abnormal in terms of like the, the muscle gets all thickened and abnormal and you end up with what we call right-sided heart failure. But in any event, how do you treat that condition? It turns out that sildenafil, which is the same drug for Viagra, will help manage that pulmonary hypertension. And so they marketed it, I forgot the name of the drug, but at, in a 20 milligram dose. Different dose. And it was a lot less expensive. Hmm. And some people knew that, and so they would prescribe it as that. But most insurance companies quickly picked up on that, and they would say, well, where's the diagnosis for pulmonary hypertension? You're uh -huh. prescribing this drug for you know, not the right reasons. Hmm. And what about, um, what about hair loss with, in women? Is there... That's a good question. I don't think it's... Propecia, I don't think it's, isn't going to do yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think it's going to do it. I don't think it's going to do it. Alopecia which is the condition of hair loss right. and particularly in women. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I think the mechanism in women is more of like an autoimmune condition. I think it's like the body's attacking their hair follicles and, and it's, I believe it's related to an autoimmune condition. Do these drugs just prevent the hair loss or do they cause hair growth? So meaning could yeah, you take it and then you end question. up with hair, hair in your back or something? I don't think so. Because remember, it's about pattern baldness. Pattern baldness, right? Pattern baldness is a, is a genetic... Uh, you, 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 you literally can trace it in families, right? It comes to... It's, it's right. a sex... It's a your sex... Mother's it's father your mother's father? That's right. That's right. It's your paternal... Uh, your maternal grandfather. So it's what's called a sex-linked trait. Hmm. Correct. And I, and I... Yeah, that's how that works. So it's like... I, basically, it's, it's a gene that leads to the formation of pattern baldness on the X chromosome, right? Yeah, because you have to get it from your mother. I mean, the market for this would be massive if they really came. I mean, finasteride does, you know, it does some of this, this preventative maintenance that you're talking about, but if somebody, if a, they could come up with a drug that really solved it, the baldness? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. It'd be huge. It'd be, I mean, that's sure the, the holy grail. Company, yeah, I'm sure they're the holy out there grail. just every it's day the holy grail. trying to find that. Yeah. That but then the what would grail. the world do with all those, without all those sexy bald men? Right. Hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> what would we do, GB? Yeah. 
Well, that's that's a good story. I mean, the fact that I'm continue to amazed how you much you can recollect on all of these details. You know what's so funny? My dad. We used to say this. My dad was a dentist, and um, and we would get into these conversations with him when I was a kid, and he himself would be like, "I can't believe I remember this." He would like totally be blown away that he could remember these things. But you know what? I think when it comes to science and medicine, particularly. And these, especially medicine, these body processes, as opposed to a lot of other things, you know, so much of the stuff you learn when you're a kid or when you're in college, you know, that, that, you know, that anthropology course I took on Kazakhstan. Okay. Like, I don't remember anything about that. Okay. Because I'm not reading about Kazakhstan every day and I'm not reinforcing this stuff. Right. But these other, flexing those muscles, right. I'm not flexing those muscles, but as a, as a doctor, you know what happens is that every person that walks into your exam room, they're reinforcing all the stuff you learned in medical school. I mean, you're you're going through their chart. You're like, oh, you had a you have Parkinson's disease. I remember what Parkinson's disease is. It causes this cogwheeling effect in your in your muscle movement. It has to do with dopaminergic receptors in your brain that aren't really working. Like you, all those things start to come back. But it's not because like I remember it. For the first time in 25 years, I was seeing patients come in with Parkinson's my first year out in practice. So I'd have to think about what is Parkinson's disease. So at least I can can make some semblance of understanding and also perhaps link it to what I'm treating you for because it can sometimes have effect on the bladder. So do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, but, but I, you I remember when the the year the drug came out, you remember the five alpha reductase. Well, that enzyme. was easy. I, I mean, but that was easy, GB. That was easy because. I certainly remember Juliana uh, Imperato, and oh, and I, oh, now you call her Juliana. <laughs> <laughs> she was professional. She was actually before. she was attractive. I do remember that she was young and attractive, but I do remember her um, also because I was interested in urology, and this was affecting something in urology. So I was particularly zoning in on it. And my mentor, Doctor Vaughn, was always you know, referring to her and looking at her as like a major, uh, you know, contributor. So yeah, no, I mean, and, and then of course I, I was at medical school between 1992 and 96. And I'm remember that those lectures, like, you know, they took place something like my second or third year of med school. So obviously that I just extrapolated and figured that must've been 92 when they, when they discovered it. I still think that to be in the medical profession, I mean, you're, you're being a bit humble, but I think the memory and the acumen for detail and synthesizing it into, uh, you know, these, I don't these agree. thoughtful results is totally inherent. disagree. Totally disagree. No. I think, I think it's I don't like, remember what I did last weekend. I mean, I could, I'd have to really think about it and you're, and you're pulling up stuff from, you know, Years ago. No, I think it's like it's the same well, as like may, maybe you need sorry, to write like uh, annual as, holiday letter so you can remember no, what you did. It's, it's like the same as, as as when people you know when racists will say this person of this race doesn't have the intellect to do what this person of this other race. I don't know. JT and I don't talk to racists. <laughs> Is he calling? No, but I've I've no. I'm saying <laughs> like I've I've seen how people who are racist talk and they. And they You've will seen this firsthand. Yeah, well, in interviews or in articles or in movies, and then you realize like how wrong they are because there's all kinds of people of different 
ethnicities and cultures who are geniuses or brilliant minds that have contributed unbelievable things to, to civilization. So we're all equally capable. That's my point. And I guess what I'm saying is, is that like, we're all, if, if your life trajectory were different and you ended up going to medical school and going through all this stuff, you would be in the same way. Well, all I'm saying, look, I didn't do that because I don't have the same proclivity towards science. Well, you just weren't that interested. Mm, I, I was. You don't. Do you think it's? it's a, I mean, it's a combination. It's a good, I suppose it's a good question. Yeah. Look, you know, people How go into the interest, creative arts right. because they have a a natural proclivity and, and a talent a that, that takes them in that good direction. Point. And uh, you know, there's also just we could do the Myers Briggs test on all of us and decide what we what are we're predisposed to. A little bit, but but yeah. how? But let me ask you something about Myers Briggs. Like, if you could predict, you know, take anybody who's considered like a creative genius. I don't know Steven Spielberg or George Lucas or mm -hmm. whatever, and then take a look at somebody who's not necessarily a creative genius, but is like a science genius, like Einstein or or you know Watson and Crick developing DNA or discovering DNA. And and imagine if their roles were switched. In other words, they were they were switched at birth. So like those real creative people were just pushed through the science pathway and mm -hmm. the science people were pushed through the creative pathway. I would argue that a significant number of them would have adapted. So I don't, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, I, I, I understand what Myers-Briggs tries to do in terms of like breaking us down to these personality types and that, yes, some of us have more left brain mm -hmm. than, and right brain. Introverts, extroverts. Yeah. I, I, but I think that at the same time, it's also subjective, you know? And there's so much environmental impacts to it and, and how you're raised, but, um, yeah, it's, I find that like when I think about how, when I read sometimes about, I, I mean, obviously in our culture, filmmaking is probably the creative medium that we are most familiar with as a population. Cause it's just, there's so it's, you don't really read as much about like some great painter. You read yeah. a ton about some great filmmaker. And one thing I always find when I'm listening on NPR or whatever about an, or some interview with a filmmaker or a cinematographer or anything like that, sometimes they'll get into like how detail oriented they are mm -hmm. about like oh, how yeah. they frame a shot and all For this sure. stuff. And I realize some of the greatest surgeons I've ever worked with talk exactly like that. Like they'll, they, they know exactly in the operating room where each instrument is on the table so they can literally, the lights could go out mm -hmm. and they could reach over and find the proper instrument because they have that kind of mind. And I realized, you know, there's so much crossover here. Yeah, some of those guys have seen the movie already in their head yep. and they come in on the day and they just need to get it on film. And my mentor, Dr. Vaughn, would say, before I do an operation, a lot of times he the night before, I see the operation. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I go through the operation in my head before. Maybe yeah. Spielberg, you know, could do could a have been a surgeon. Could do a vasectomy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so it is New Year's Day as we drop this. Any resolutions, guys, or uh, anything you, Doc, would recommend as a uh, as a health professional that people might want to? Of course, there's the exercise and yeah, low sodium, low sugar, low <laughs> fat diet, yeah. lose weight. <laughs> Something that that we wouldn't find on the Today Show, maybe. Um, have more sex. Yeah. I think it's, it's, I think it's under, I think it's often under, um, emphasized as an, a very, very important ingredient to longevity. Uh, what if you're married? Have more sex. I would say the same thing. Okay. I would say the same thing. 
You, right. you, if anything, you're perfectly uh, positioned. No pun intended, but uh, you are. I, if you're I, unmarried, I, you're not so well positioned, and you've got a little bit more of a hurdle. I, I, if you're married, you got I a partner. Some, I have some advice. Okay. Uh, somebody once said this, and I and at, at the time it was uh, in a large presentation, and I thought that's kind of dumb. But as time went on, it really resonated, and it was a- absolutely true. So here's what this individual said. He said, "It's never as good as you think it is, but it's also never as bad as you think it is." And re- and really, what he's basically saying is, you know what? It ain't so bad. Th- th- things are going to mm-hmm. be okay. It's all going to be. So this just is like in, fine. in all all things, yeah, all things, all and 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 this has to do in terms of New Year's resolution. It's really about the outlook and perspective, and um, and living here in the United States, we're all very lucky. We we live in this wonderful, wonderful country where we have freedoms, and there's a tremendous you know uh, you know amount uh, of wealth, and I think we're, we're we're all very lucky. There's certainly problems that absolutely need to be solved um, especially here in LA you know the homeless problems and how we do that but you know what thing things aren't that bad the glass is half full it's not half empty and I and, and I think that is sort of a mindset that I think is good and healthy that everybody should carry into the new year yeah I think that's a good thing that's very like wise that. GB I, I think it's wise yeah I think perspective is a huge thing that people can have and it's very very easy in all of our daily lives to get very caught up in, in what is one inch or one minute ahead. And, uh, you know, in other words, what's happening that day with the kids or what's happening at work and, or uh, that assignment you've got. And if you can take one step back and say, you know, hopefully you're lucky enough to have a roof over your head. And, and uh, you know, if you've got your health, yeah, I think that's the perspective that everybody can, can use. So. Cool. All right. Well, uh, happy, happy Hanukkah! New Year. Happy, happy Hanukkah! Year. Happy Hanukkah! Happy Merry Christmas! Year. Happy Merry Christmas! Yeah. Happy New Year to, to to everybody! Yes, and thanks for listening this year. Uh, our first year here at Two Men in a Dock. We're at like month eight now. We we just passed almost uh, right around twenty five hundred downloads. So thank you for that. And please subscribe and tell your friends. And um, yeah, you know, send us send us your questions and and have a have a great year. Thanks, guys. All right, take it easy, boys. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience. But if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.